Thirty-five years ago, best-selling author Philip Yancey wrote the book, Where is God When It Hurts? He addressed the questions of human suffering and faith in God. Well, Yancey has just recently published a brand new book entitled, The Question That Never Goes Away. And in it, he updates his original work, focusing on the school shootings in Newtown, Connecticut, which resulted in the deaths of 27 innocent children, the 9.0 magnitude earthquake and tsunami that killed over 19,000 in Japan, and the ongoing civil war in Serbia, which has claimed the lives of 140,000 people, including 16,000 women and children. The question that never goes away, it's a question that has been asked and it will be asked in every generation. And it's the very same question that many of you posed in one way or another to help us put together this series of messages we've been calling, You Ask For It. And the question is, it's on the front of your worship bulletin this morning, why does a good God allow suffering? Now, here's the way many of you worded it in your text messages. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why cancer? Why does God allow innocent babies to be born with birth defects or to die young? Why are there disabled people? Why does God permit crime in our world? Why did God allow the Holocaust and then the very personal question, why my dad? Why did he have to die so soon? So do you ever feel like life should come with a warning label? Maybe we could tie a tag to the toe of every newborn saying, life can be full of love and joy and excitement and adventure and pleasure and fulfillment but also include a warning about the possible side effects of life and living, rejection, betrayal, heartache, loss, injury, disappointment, sickness, and death. Well, actually, life does come with a warning. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said, in this world, in this life, you will have Tribulation, that word means trouble. In this life, in this world, you will have trouble. But that begs the question, doesn't it? Why? Why is that? Why does a good God allow suffering and evil and pain? And did you notice that why was the first word of every one of these questions I just read? Did you know that this very question was once put to Jesus? And I want us to discover how he responded to it, because herein is a perspective we all need to get. And if we get it, if we get it this morning, this question about why God allows suffering may not be answered to our complete satisfaction, but I'll tell you this, it will simply go away. So 20 centuries ago. Jesus was asked about an incident in which unsuspecting Jews from Galilee were butchered 
by Roman government-backed terrorists. And then he was asked about a tower, the Tower of Siloam, that accidentally collapsed, killing 18 people. And finally, he gives us a parable to impress on people then and now the urgency of the right priority in life. So follow along here this morning in Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, Leave it alone for one more year. I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. So this question people are asking today, why does a good God allow suffering? It was being asked of Jesus 20 centuries ago. Why did God allow bad things to happen? And today we might want to ask, Jesus, what about those 254 passengers who died on those three hijacked airliners on 9-11? And what about those 3,000 innocent people killed when the World Trade Center towers collapsed? And while I'm on the subject, Lord, what about those 304 teens who recently drowned in that capsized South Korean ferry? And what about those 276 young girls in Nigeria that were abducted by Islamic militants to be sold as sex slaves? You could ask Jesus, but you might not like His answer or His non-answer. So here you come with this deep, troubling, philosophical question. Why does a good God allow this suffering? And Jesus seems to ignore it. Instead, he turns the question into a warning to repent. Well, the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. We have to accept the fact that on this side of heaven, we see things dimly. It's because of our finite perspective. 
But today, we want to replace our finite perspective with a faith faith perspective, which will help us even more than having a definitive answer to the question, why? First, understand this, that suffering is a part of living in a fallen world. And you'll often hear it asked, well, why didn't God create a world without evil? The answer is, He did. He did. There was no suffering in the Garden of Eden. Well, if God is not the author of pain or death, then how did they originate? Well, God gave human beings free will, which is necessary if we're going to have the capacity to choose to love God and to love each other. Listen, if you pull a string on a doll and release it and it says, I love you, that doesn't mean anything to a thinking person. It might mean something to preschoolers, but it doesn't mean anything to adults because we know it's programmed. Real love involves a choice. Adam and Eve exercised their free will, and they chose to reject the government of God. And we're living in a world today that's affected by the fallout from their sin and, and ours. And this has resulted in two sources for the suffering that has invaded our fallen world. And Jesus addresses both of them in this text. The first source of suffering is moral evil, and the second source of suffering is natural evil. First, there's moral evil. Pilate, in our text, was a cruel Roman governor. One day, some Jews from Galilee were preparing their sacrificial offerings. Pilate did not trust the Jews, so he had Roman soldiers disguised as Jews to mingle with them. And then Pilate gave the order to massacre these worshipers. Well, the Jews were outraged. They were outraged that Pilate would mingle the blood of the worshipers with the blood of their animal sacrifices, and they could not believe that God would permit this kind of injustice, that God would permit this kind of blasphemy. Well, the world has always had evil, heartless rulers like Pilate, whether it's Adolf Hitler ordering the extermination of six million Jews and Christians or Putin inciting civil war in the Ukraine, or the misguided religious zeal of Muslim terrorists in Benghazi or New York City. The world is full of cruel people. After 9-11, President Bush said, we have seen the face of pure evil. I heard that and I said, I agree with that. We share this planet with some morally bankrupt people. But it's not just tyrannical dictators. The Bible speaks of the depravity of the human heart. Look at Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And then Jesus said in Mark 7, 21, For from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery. Someone has estimated that 95% of the world's suffering results from selfishness and sin. So don't blame God for the actions of evil people. That's not fair. 
When God created us, He gave us the freedom to choose, and some choose to commit acts of evil and violence and wind up victimizing innocent people. Others pursue the path of what I would call passive moral evil. They simply insulate themselves. They simply isolate themselves from the world's needs, from needy people. And James 4.17 says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Moral evil is responsible for most of the suffering in our world. But then there's natural evil. Our text doesn't reveal why this tower of Siloam fell. We just know that when it did, 18 people lost their lives. Perhaps it was human error. Maybe the tower just wasn't constructed well. Or maybe it was a hurricane wind or an earthquake that that blew it over. Sometimes suffering is a result of accidents. Sometimes suffering is a result of natural disasters. I suppose you could put disease in this category. But hurricanes and tornadoes and floods, they were all in the Pandora's box that was opened up by Adam and Eve's sin. The author Cliff Nickel explained, when we humans told God to shove off, He honored our request. He withdrew, and nature began to revolt. The earth was cursed. Genetic breakdown and physical sickness began to advance. Pain and death entered our experience. Paul says it this way in Romans 8.22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Nature, nature itself longs for things to be set right. So let me make it crystal clear. God did not create evil, suffering, and death. He did create the potential for evil to enter the world because it was the only way people would have the freedom to choose to be godly and loving. But it was our free will that brought evil into existence. And someone might step back and ask, well, couldn't God have foreseen all of this? No doubt he did. But listen, this is Mother's Day. Many of you in this assembly this morning are parents. And before you had children, you knew that there was a possibility that your children would suffer disappointment and pain and heartache in life. You knew there was a possibility that they might hurt you or one day reject you and walk away from you. But you still had a family. Why? Because you also knew there is the potential for deep love, strong ties, great joy. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. He knew that some of us would rebel against Him, but He also knew that many would choose to love Him and follow Him and spend eternity in heaven with Him, even though it would, would cost Him His own Son. Great pain and suffering on the cross to redeem us. Well, I also want you to see in our text that suffering is not related to goodness or badness. Did you see that in the text? The question in the mind of Jesus' audience was this. Why did those people suffer and die from Pilate's cruelty? Why did those people die 
from the Tower of Siloam falling on them. Their assumption was that they must have been pretty bad people for this to happen to them. They're probably just getting what they deserve. We tend to think like that. But Jesus clearly says, no, no. They were not worse than any of you. The disciples once asked Jesus about a blind man. They said, Master, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? In other words, what did this person do to deserve this suffering? And Jesus said in John 9, 3, neither this man nor his parents sinned that he was born blind, but this happened that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So maybe you've wrestled with the question, why do bad things happen to good people? (laughs) Have you ever thought to ask it the other way? Why do good things happen to bad people like you and me? Suffering does not discriminate. Eventually, we will all take a turn, and no one is exempt. But Romans 8.18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Yes, we will suffer in this life. Jesus alerted us to that fact. But this life is not all there is. Think of it this way. Let's say on January 1st, 2014, You had a terrible, terrible day. You had to have a root canal. Your wife totaled the new car as she drove it off of the showroom floor. That's bad. Your stock portfolio took a nosedive. You had to take a child to the emergency room. The Colts lost a big game in Indy. Ohio State beat IU. Todd is down here thinking, that's not a bad thing. He's an Ohio State fan, folks. From start to finish, let's just say, January 1st, 2014, from start to finish, it was like that children's book, Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day. But then... Every other day of the year is just amazing. You're remembered in someone's will for a million dollars. You land your dream job. Time magazine votes you person of the year and puts your picture on the cover. You have a healthy new baby. Your marriage is great. Your health is robust. You win an all-expense-paid two-week vacation in Tahiti. So on January 1st, 2015, someone asks, what was your year like? You'd say, oh, it was terrific. It was wonderful because those 364 days far outweigh that one bad New Year's Day. The same will be true in heaven. Now, I am not denying the reality of your pain in this life. It might be awful. It might be chronic. It might go on throughout your entire lifetime. But I'm telling you in heaven... After 10,000 years of pure bliss, with an eternity of joy ahead, you will have absolutely no memory of the pain. 1 Corinthians 2.9. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. 
Keep looking at that verse. Do you know that the context for this quote is Paul talking about God's infinite wisdom, a wisdom that God has destined for us to receive in heaven. In other words, all the unanswered why questions that you and I have in this life will be answered in the greater life. The wisdom that Paul is talking about here is a big part of what God has prepared for those who love him. No eyes seen, no ears heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. It's talking about his wisdom. Talking about the fact that we'll understand it better by and by. Well, suffering also impresses the message, repent or perish. I'm thinking right now that you may not like where this message is going. But I want to remind you, I'm just the UPS man. My job is to deliver the package. I don't have anything to do with the contents of the package. I'm just going to explain and apply what Jesus said when he addressed the question of suffering. When asked why Pilate was allowed to wantonly kill people during worship and blaspheme God, or why 18 people died when the Tower of Siloam accidentally fell. Jesus gave the same reply both times. Unless you repent, you will likewise perish. So we can answer the why questions, or ask the why questions. We can't answer them. We can ask them all day long, but there is no answer. And we only torment ourselves and demonstrate a weak personal faith in asking it. Why should not be asked by people who have professed to trust God's goodness? And Jesus said to people then, and he says to us today, will you receive it? Why is the wrong question, my friends? As mortals, you don't have the wisdom, you don't have the capacity to comprehend the answer if I gave it to you. You will someday. But here's what you need to be thinking about today. Unless you repent, you will also perish. Can you receive this truth today? While some are going to get lost in the endless intellectual and theological debate about the problem of sin. And while some will allow the suffering they see in this world to be their excuse for unbelief or to doubt the existence of God, while some will become bitter and reject God, becoming hard and angry and sullen, there are those who will once and for all, quietly set the question aside, just as Jesus did. They'll humbly repent and submit to the loving lordship of Jesus, becoming more gentle, becoming more loving, becoming more tender, becoming more willing to reach out with compassion to help others who are suffering. Because you see, my friends, God's ultimate answer to suffering isn't an explanation. It 
is the incarnation. He gives us more than answers. He gives us Himself in Jesus, and He wants us as His people to be Jesus in our world of suffering. So more and more people will discover His heart and repent and turn to Him and experience peace for their present suffering and courage to face their future suffering until that day that is talked about in Revelation 7.17 when God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. One final lesson from Jesus today in a parable. There is a time limit on God's grace. Now, you may think this parable about the fig tree is completely unrelated to what Jesus is saying about suffering and repentance, but actually it's not. It's not. He's using a story to illustrate something vital. In this parable, the owner of the farm is God. The fig tree is Israel, and God is ready to cut the tree down because it has been unfruitful for three years. But he decides to give it another season to see if it will become fruitful. Don't miss this. Jesus has been working miracles, and he has been teaching about the kingdom of God for how long? Three years. And within a few more weeks, he would go to the cross. Yet Israel had not accepted Jesus as Savior. So God gave them more time. And the message is the same for us. If you haven't trusted Jesus as your Savior, God is giving you another chance to surrender to Him. We're still living in this grace period. Salvation is God's gift, but it's got to be received. And there is a deadline to His grace. Actually, two deadlines. Both of them are unknown. And there's nothing more ominous than a deadline that is unknown. <laughs> but here they are. Number one, you could die. Number two, Jesus could come again. In short, you and I are either going to meet the undertaker or we're going to meet the upper taker. <laughs> either way, at that moment, at that moment, the grace period is over. The grace period runs out. So you see, friends, the most important question you'll ever ask is not, why does a good God allow suffering? That's not the most important question. The most important question you'll ever ask and answer is this one. Have I repented? Am I ready to meet God? Where will I Spend eternity? That's the question. In his powerful message on the day of National Prayer and Remembrance, some of you remember this, it was held the Friday after 9-11, Billy Graham spoke of the mystery of suffering. Here's what he said. 
I've been asked hundreds of times in my life why God allows tragedy and suffering. I have to confess that I do not know the answer fully, even to my own satisfaction. But I have chosen to accept by faith that God is sovereign, that He is a God of love and mercy and compassion in the midst of our suffering. Then he said, the cross reveals that God understands our suffering for He took it upon Himself in the person of Jesus Christ and from the cross God declares, I love you. I know the heartaches and the sorrows and pain that you feel. But the story does not end with the cross, Graham said. It ends with an empty tomb that tells us there is hope for eternal life for Christ conquered evil, death, and hell. Yes, there is hope. And for some reason, the networks did not broadcast the last portion of Dr. Graham's message. Even PBS left it out. But it's really the most important part. Because without the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, we face a hopeless end. But with the cross and with the empty tomb, we have an endless hope. Will you stand with me for prayer? Father, thank you for your patience with us. We are guilty sometimes of debating issues that cannot be resolved, asking questions that cannot be answered, and somehow it becomes a distraction for us to focus on what's really important, what matters most. Lord, help us to leave this question out of our personal vocabularies from this day on. No longer will we ask, why does a good God allow suffering? Lord, because there's something accusatory in that. Like a detective asking someone they know is guilty of a crime, why'd you do it? Why'd you do it? Lord, though, we don't have the moral high ground where you are concerned. So we're not going to ask that question again. We understand that unbelievers need to ask it, and we need to speak to it. But as for us, uh, we're not going to ask it. We're going to focus on what's most important, and that is walking humbly with our good, compassionate, loving Heavenly Father. And we thank you that Jesus made that possible. And we thank you for his wisdom revealed in this passage we've studied this morning. And I want to pray for the person right now, Lord, who's in this assembly, who's allowed this or that issue, this or that question to derail them from what's really important. Repentance, humility before you. Immersion in the deeper life of the church of Christ. Lord, we pray for that person and that decision today in Jesus' name.
Amen.